if I can brag on these young people for a moment this morning and, and their um, being a part of the, the youth band that led the music here. And last service they did all the music. And um, I'm, I'm just really impressed sometimes with, with some, of the, some of these young adults that, that God has blessed us with. And something happened that really could have thrown them last service. Many of you know, if you've kind of ever peeked at the back wall during a worship service, we have a back projector that allows us on the stage to see the same words that you all see and to kind of know where we are to the best of our ability. Uh, last service, beginning of service, the projector died. We, we still don't know what happened. It's just gone. And that could, that throws a lot of adults. I mean, it throws us when it happens. And uh, they never missed a beat. They just were fantastic. They kept going. They worshiped. You know, they, again, were just a wonderful reminder for us that, you know, we want things to always go the way we plan it, but that's not, you know, God just didn't show up on our time. So uh, that each of those young adults that you saw up there, they put a lot of time, and some of them um, started playing the instruments when they started learning with John. I mean, some of them are brand new, and they've just done a fantastic job. So I, I love the opportunity. We hear so much um, about youth gone wrong. We don't hear enough about youth gone right. we got a lot of youth gone right around here, and we're thankful for that. Um, the other thing I want to um, just say a word again of deep appreciation for is to everybody who uh, was a part of the Living Nativity this weekend, Friday and Saturday night. What a, a joy that was, as it always is. It's a very tiring weekend. I mean, very honestly, uh, there's a lot of us that, beginning with last week, have been here a lot this week. And uh, so many of you that were part of it, that volunteered so much of your time. And it's, it, it, as I often say, it'd be impossible to thank everybody. But I do want to recognize uh, two folks that really... Uh, deserve that moment. They would never ask for it, but that is Joe and Julie McNaughton, who lead that um, ministry. And um, I don't know. I think they're with the kids. I don't. Are they are Joe and Julie? Are you in there? Where are you at? Where? Where? Oh, there's Julie right here. She couldn't be. I. They, I don't want to embarrass her. I got Joe last service, but they. Uh, they do the lion's share of making it all work and come together. And so I thank both of them and everybody, because I know both of them would say that there's a lot of folks, and there are. So all of you that were a part of that, thank you. Uh, it was fun, but we will all rest well this afternoon. <laughs> so, And then don't forget next weekend with the cantata. Keep that in your prayers as there's a whole army of folks that are a part of that. Uh, it's, it's a great time of year. It really, really is. Uh, but it can be an overwhelming time of year. And so this morning we're going to talk about, I think, the preparation that's necessary for us to rightly focus ourselves, which is easy to get lost in the busyness of the season, which is kind of a, a, a drum I beat a lot at this time of year, and some of you have heard it over and over again because it's so important for us. And uh, we continue today this sermon series that is very simply titled, A Recipe for Christmas. Uh, but it's not for cookies, not for cakes, but it's a recipe for us to, to internalize God's Word in such a way that we're able to rightly focus on the heart of Christmas and the celebration of the birth of Christ and of God's love and His gift that He has given. So, so we're going to look today at preparation and how important that is for us in our walk with Christ and as brothers and sisters um, uh, in, in faith. And so I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 3. Part of the gospel story really after 
the, the birth of Jesus, but so appropriate as we focus on this season of Advent this morning. Uh, beginning at verse 1, again, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of uh, Ithuria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, before we get to the prophecy, let me, let me center us in something. There's a lot of times we might find ourselves questioning, why, why do the gospel writers need to tell us all of that? Why do we need to know that Herod was ruling? Why do we need to know about Philip? Why do we need to know about Tiberius Caesar? Understand, the gospel writers are very, very intentful in this. They want us to understand something. This happened. This is historically rooted. These were the things that were going on. This isn't, as some would want to paint, this isn't fairy tale. This isn't made out of the sky. This is part of human history, God's story with human history. So part of the reason we read these names, they want you to know this is historically rooted. This took place in this time, in this place, in this location. And this is where it continues. It says that he, being John the Baptist, went all the, about all the country of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, your word speaks to us. Your Holy Spirit indwells within us to challenge, provoke, move, shape us. Do so according to your will. Speak to us by the power of your word and give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus. Amen. There was a group of um, data engineers, if you will, that were gotten together not too long ago, and they were meeting with a vendor. They were meeting with a client who they were doing some work for and they were providing services for, and things hadn't gone as smoothly as they had hoped. And part of the reason it hadn't gone as smoothly as they had hoped is they were trying to communicate to their client, to their vendor, that you hadn't done some of the things that you needed to do. And they said, see, we have a case here is we have a severe nonlinear waterfowl issue. We have a severe nonlinear waterfowl issue. And their client looked at him and said, what the heck is a severe nonlinear waterfowl issue? Who knows what a severe nonlinear waterfowl issue is? That's what happens when you do not have your ducks in a row. <laughs> Use that next time. A severe nonlinear waterfowl issue. What they were saying is you hadn't done the things you needed to do so that we could properly do the things that we needed to do. Now, I don't believe John the Baptist would say to us, and the question he would ask us is, do we have an issue with a severe nonlinear waterfowl issue? Do, do we have our ducks in a row? Are we doing the things that we need to do 
to be prepared to receive the gift of God in the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ. Because John's ministry, his call was to be the one to prepare the way. The, the words that, um, that I read from Luke chapter 3 are actually part of the prophecy of Isaiah that's found in chapter 40. And it spoke to the reason that God sent John, his purpose. He was the forebearer, the immediate forebearer of the coming of the Messiah. He was the one, Jesus would say, that none greater had come before him. And it wasn't so much because of John's innate worthiness. It never is in our relationship with God. It's never about our worthiness, but it's about what God does in and through us. And God's call upon John's life was to be the one to make the way ready, to prepare the people to receive that which they had longed for, that they had prayed for, that they had hoped for. I mean, the prophecy of Isaiah, speaking of the coming of the Messiah, was spoken 700 years before Jesus' birth. That's a long time to wait for the coming of a promise. And John comes to get them ready, to make sure that, if you will, they had their ducks in a row. And so he uses the imagery of Isaiah, and he speaks the words that you are to make straight the path. To make straight the path. He would go on to say that the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways shall become smooth. Now, if you've been in the church a long time, You've heard that prophecy before. You've heard that imagery before. But you need to understand the context. You need to understand that this would have resonated with the hearers of John's message. This would have resonated with the people of, at the time of Jesus because they understood the significance of making a straight path. Because what would happen in the cities of the day, especially the Roman cities, and remember the Romans um, occupied Judea and Israel, they understood that one of the practices, if, if a king was coming to your city, if the king was coming for a visit or any powerful dignitary or, or, or the Caesar, that what you did is you made sure there was a straight, smooth entryway into the city. You made sure there was a road that was specially prepared for the coming of the king. In fact, there was a, a city at the time of Jesus um, called Bethsaim that uh, was located between the, the Jezreel and the Jericho Valleys, which would have been very familiar to anyone who would have traveled from Galilee, which was in the north, to Jerusalem, which was in the south. They would have been familiar with this city. In fact, you can go to Israel today and you can see the, um, the excavation of the city. You can see some of the remains. And what was significant, or one of the things significant about this bustling Roman city was the entryway into it. In fact, I had some pictures. Yeah, right here is one of the pictures of, of Bethsaim. And this is the main road into the city that would have existed in the time of Jesus. And you can see the columns on the left and the right. If you go to Israel today, you can visit the spot. And you can see the straight, relatively smooth way that would have been prepared. If you go to the next picture, Bob, you can see it from more of an aerial. And I know it's a little hard to see. There's two figures there just to the right of center. That's that same road that you were looking at. It was the straight path. After crooked, windy roads, there was a straight path into the city. And it would have been there, and it would have been used beyond that singular purpose of for a king. But the purpose was so those who came 
who had a special place, who were esteemed, who were significant, who ruled, had a straight path in. That's what John says to us. That's his challenge for us. Has he, he takes a very um, physical, literal reality and understanding. And we, we get the significance of roads. We know. We depend upon them. And, and we know how important they are. I, I, may, I was thinking about this. You know, the first year I was here as the pastor, those of you that, that have been here for more than four years, remember that we watched a road get built that took almost a year to construct right out in front. And um, just so you know, a new one's coming, so get ready. It's not, they're not done. Um, but we know how important roads are. We know how significant they are. Well, well, John says in a very spiritual way, have you begun to prepare your heart? Have you begun to prepare the roads in your heart to properly receive the gift that has been promised, to properly receive the Messiah? That is a question for us to ask ourselves today. Because we are in the midst of the hustle and the bustle of the season. We are in the midst of this celebration of... Now, now here's the thing. We call it the Christmas season. Let me give you a little lesson. I'm going to sound militant here. Christmas is not a season. Not for us. Christmas is a day. Advent is the season. Now, if you're thinking semantics, what difference does it make? And, and in a lot of ways, it doesn't. And the world outside, Advent doesn't mean anything to them. But why does it matter to us? Because Advent is about preparing. Advent is about preparing so that we can rightly celebrate the gift of God in Jesus Christ. And so the Advent is a season of preparation. It's not just, we don't just light the candle so you know how many shopping days you have left until Christmas. That's not what it's about. It's about helping us to get ready each week for the night which we will light the Christ candle. So when we come to that place, we have prepared ourselves, not by shopping, not because of the parties we've thrown, but because of the way that we have made straight the paths of our hearts for the Messiah to come and be real with us. It's all about preparation. And we need to hear that lesson or we need to be reminded of that. You know, somebody was referencing the fact that a lot of times Christmas gets abbreviated into uh, Xmas. So you see the X and then the M-A-S, Xmas. And they said that's incredibly appropriate because Christmas is all about excess, exhaustion. Um, uh, 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 I'm blanking on any more X's, but you get the point. It's all about um, these, these things that... that, that creep in to the heart of, of what our, our celebration is. And sometimes we need to be recalibrated. We need to remember that it's our call to prepare. I, I was thinking about these magnets. I saw one on the car in the parking lot um, this week, as, as a lot of you have put them on your cars, these magnets that we're selling that you've seen that keep Christ in Christmas. And, and I was thinking about that. You know who that message is for? It's for us. It's for us. This is not the message for the world beyond faith. And, and I don't say that judge with the judgment. But those who, who don't believe, they'll tell you they never had Christ in Christmas to begin with. This is for us. And, and please understand, I don't say that with a sense of arrogance or judgment. In fact, one of the things that is so valuable, the fact that the world has taken on the celebration of Christmas, if not the heart of it, is that God provides us bridges. 
to reach because I'm convinced that at the end of the season, there's so many people that just celebrate the presence, that just celebrate the, the, the pomp and circumstance, if you will, that when the season's over and the presents have been opened and the bills are coming due and the decorations have come down, they feel as empty as they were when they started. And they're wondering, there's got to be something more. And that's an opportunity God gives us to reach and to connect and to make a difference and to share faith. But this is for us. Because if you're like me, you get caught up in it too. And all those extra things that are good. I, I, again, I've said before, I'm not, I'm not criticizing buying gifts. I, I Christmas shop. I do it online, deliver to my front door, but I Christmas shop. <laughs> and, and I like to go to parties, and I like to, to enjoy the festivities of the season. But God challenges me. Sometimes I need to keep Christ in the middle of it because all that stuff starts to crowd out why Christmas matters and why we celebrate. And I'll find myself coming to Christmas Eve feeling like I've just barely survived it rather than embraced it and experienced the power of it. We need to keep Christ in Christmas. John reminds us, Prepare yourself. He preached a, a, a message of the baptism, uh, the repentance, the forgiveness of sins. We need to be intentional that this season becomes more than just the festivities, the parties, and the presents. Preparation matters. There's a, a story that's told, uh, and this goes back a number of years, when Casey Stengel was managing the Boston Braves. Let's let you know back uh, where we go, in the, in the late 30s, that in spring training of one of the years when he was the manager, manager of the Boston Braves for six years, one of those years he had a young rookie who, uh, to be quite honest, wasn't the greatest baseball player he'd ever seen. Wasn't a great hitter, wasn't a great fielder, but man, this kid was fast. Just lightning speed. And so Casey Stengel thought, I'm going to keep this kid around because he's going to be valuable someday. I'm going to be able to use him. So he kept him on the team. He never played, never got on in the field. About halfway through the year, they're playing the Brooklyn Dodgers. Ninth inning, tie game. Guy doubles, gets on second base. Casey Stengel thinks, this is the opportunity. I get this kid on base. Any hit, any single is going to bring him home. We win the game. Game's over. So he calls the kid, startles the kid, calls him, puts him in the game, puts him on second base. Sure enough, the next batter singles to left. Casey Stengel thinks, it's over. This kid, there's no way this kid doesn't score. Except the kid didn't score. He came around third base, and he slipped, and he fell. Scrambled back to third, didn't score the run, wouldn't score the run. Ninth inning ends in a tie game, goes 23 innings. At the end of the 23rd inning, they called it a tie. Didn't even keep going. After the game, Casey Stingles talking to this kid, and he's like, what happened? How did you slip coming around third? And the kid just gets this dejected look on his face. He said, coach, he said, you never used me. I figured I wasn't going to play this game either, so I took off my cleats and put on comfortable shoes. <laughs> True story. True story. Preparation matters. Being ready. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. And the moment passed him by. Are we ready? Are we intentional about that? How do we get ready? We carve time. We, we do intentional things. This doesn't happen by accident. Just like, you know, I, I read a quote that said that... Uh, Spectacular achievement is accomplished by unspectacular preparation. Sometimes we have to invest in anything. We, uh, Christ gives us an invitation, but it, 
it doesn't come without some expectation of our involvement, our participation in preparing the environment of our spirits to receive the gift of Jesus. We need to ask ourselves, what are we hearing? What are we listening to? How are we focusing ourselves in this season of Advent? And that's why worship matters as much as it does, because we come in here for an hour and we center ourselves. In the fellowship and the worship, we, we have a chance to, to remember and prioritize the place of God in our lives. Uh, Joe and I, Joe McNaughton and I, have a lot of conversation about the, the timing of when the Living Nativity is done every year because we usually do it early in December. And there's pros and cons to whenever we schedule events. But one of the things that I love about the Living Nativity and love about the fact that it happens early in the season of Advent is it, for me, it focuses me back in. It allows me to experience again the story and to remember that this is the story. This is the reason that we celebrate and that we worship and that we, we recognize Christmas, not the other stuff. That's the gravy. This is the meat. This is the heart of it. It allows us to, to tune in, if you will. It allows me to tune in. How do you tune in? Begin to hear the voice of God. Ma Max Lucado tells a story. I know many of you read Max Lucado books. I read Max Lucado books. Uh, he tells a story in one of his books about a family vacation. He and his, his wife and his daughters uh, took. There's five of them, three daughters and he and his wife. And uh, they went to Europe. And while they were in Europe, they visited one of the, the castles there in Europe. And uh, there was a beautiful garden in the center. And at the, in the middle of the garden was one of those mazes those high hedgerows, and you can go and you try to walk the maze and figure your way around. And if you got through, you'd get to the center, and in the center was a tower. And you could climb the tower, and you could look out upon the gardens and the properties and, and survey um, everything, you know, for however much distance you could see. And uh, Max Lucado says that when you look at the family vacation pictures, you see that the pictures of the, t of the family up at the tower had four people. Because one of them couldn't find their way through the maze. And the one who couldn't find his way through the maze was Max. And he says he was getting spun around. He was getting discombobulated. He just couldn't get through it. He couldn't get to the middle. And finally he hears a voice. And it said, hey, Dad, go left. And he looked up in the tower and his daughter Sarah was up there. And she began to give him directions. Go left. Turn around walked the other way and began to navigate him from her perspective through the maze that he'd felt trapped in. And he said, you know, I could have ignored her voice. I could have been convinced I'd find my way out and I could do it myself. That's kind of the guy thing. He's like, I could have relied on other tourists that were as lost as I was. Or I could have listened to the voice that was above it all, that had a perspective I didn't have, that saw in ways I couldn't see. And by listening to the right voice, he was able to navigate the maze that had confined him. What, what are we listening to? What, what are you listening to? Whose voice has your ear? As we prepare for Christmas, as we enjoy the wonder of the season and enjoy it, love it, embrace it, but don't let it crowd out the heart. Don't let it crowd out the reason. Don't let the world co-opt our holy day by pushing Christ away from the center. Hear the voice of God. We do that in worship. 
We do that in prayer. We do that in meditation, but we do it in intentional behavior. And, and that's our challenge because this season can overwhelm us. It can highlight the best of life and it can leave gaping holes in the wounds and the struggles and the sins and the burdens and the brokenness we carry. Into those places Christ enters. God with us. If we make straight the path. If we prepare to receive our King. Just like the people before Jesus and all who have come after Him. We're challenged to make ourselves ready. To prepare ourselves. Here's my hope. I'm going to guess that most of us are going to be somewhere on Christmas Eve worshiping, either here or maybe with family, but you're going to be somewhere. Don't get caught off guard. Don't find yourself sitting there going, wow, I can't believe it's already here. Because we haven't prepared. Prepare now and allow God to speak. Allow God in. Make straight that path and open your heart to receive the true heart of Christmas, which is the gift of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God of all good things, giver of all gifts, thank you that you have given us Jesus. Speak to our hearts and let us use this season, challenge us to use this season as a time to prepare and make ready to receive the gift that you have given. Your love, your grace, and your mercy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.